0: Hello, and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your co-host today, Lamar, and this is my co-host and regular host, Carrie Muelstein.
1: Hi, Lamar. Hi, everyone. Let's uh, talk about our sponsor for uh, this episode, and it has to do with mental wellness again. It's something that's really been misunderstood for a while. We've we, For a long time, we thought that the brain was where really everything was happening chemically and chemical imbalances and so on. But as we've done better science and more research, we found that uh, the brain and the the gut are really intrinsically linked. Uh, and specifically, that microbiome in, in your uh, gut is where you pr- produce about 90% of the feel-good neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and so on. So sometimes you're called your second brain, right? Uh, but those neurotransmitters are not produced when your gut's not healthy and it can't support it. And our modern diet and all sorts of other things we do often make it so that we're not uh, as good at doing this as we have been in generations past. And we learned this as a family, the hardware, hard way. Um, we've had uh, our, some daughters who have really struggled with their gut health. And as a result, uh, their mental health. And and we found a natural uh, product that completely natural, none of the side effects of chemicals and stuff, but it's designed to help you recreate mental health and, and give your body what it needs to uh, it produce those uh, chemicals that the brain needs. And so uh, without any negative side effects, uh, we've had more energy, more resilience, less fight, fight or flight reactions, that kind of a thing. And it's, it takes some time to build up that uh, gut health that creates mental health. And we're still working on it, but uh, we wish we would have known this from the beginning. We think we could have avoided some of the more difficult things that uh, some of my children have gone through. So uh, if you're interested in learning more for yourself, or especially for our, our youth, they're really struggling from this. Uh, if you have children or grandchildren that might be struggling, then you can learn more about it by emailing your mental wellness coach at gmail.com. And if you reach out this week, uh, be there before January 30th, there's a 20% off discount. So we just want people to know there are real and viable options backed by quality scientific research and clinical trials and so on. But it's also natural. So email at your mental wellness coach at gmail.com. So your mental wellness coach at gmail.com and and do it quickly. Reach out this week so you don't miss that 20% off. Well,
0: uh, we're cruising along here in the Book of Mormon and you just talked to Noel Reynolds. And if you haven't heard that episode, Yet um you should probably listen to that one before this one because it's gonna be a nice lead into this one. Um and we're gonna talk about the similar themes because today on the podcast we're gonna talk about uh Nephi's vision, which is also Lehi's vision. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But what you want to know about Noel Reynolds uh and what he said was he said his um his point was that Nephi chapter 10, 17 through 19, really is what he calls the theme of uh, the theme of nephi it talks about nephi's uh two sets of plates and and um and how they all fit together carrie tell tell us a little bit about what you talk about with noel
1: yeah so just this idea that uh nephi is setting up that uh those who uh seek god will find God through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will help them reveal God to them, uh, that the mystery, so for example, verse 19, he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, And that's really, uh, Noel suggested, and you can see it play out, that that's the theme throughout all of these, uh, the plates of Nephi, the, the small plates, right? So, uh, this notion that if we're seeking, we'll find them, and those who don't, won't, right? So we've seen it with Laman and Lemuel, we'll see it with them after this vision in chapter 15, uh, which is part of this week's reading assignment, where they say, uh, he says, did you ask God? And they say, no, he didn't make anything known unto us, so why should we right. ask him, right? That's that's the continuation of this theme, that Nephi is having this because he does, he asks and believes it will happen, and Laman and Lemuel don't, and, and that that contrast is applicable to everyone Everywhere,
0: excellent. So, and I think that is, and and one of your other guests, was it was it Noel or was it um, might have been Mike Goodman? It was Mike Goodman who said this. He said we don't think that the Book of Mormon is magical or anything like that. It's just that if we read it, there's things in there that is for us. And I want to touch on that again. Also, you should that's um that's this year also episode or season three, which is yeah episode course, two. It's our second episode, episode for the year. Yeah, yeah, and he says. Um, that it's not magical, but there's things in there that if you read the book of Mormon with real intent, it will help you because it's made for our day. And I wanted to focus on that for just a second, which is we don't think that the book of Mormon replaces other scripture. It's not better, like, you know, what's better than the words of Christ or the parables of Christ? There's nothing better than that. We know that, but that's not what we're saying. But the book of Mormon was specially prepared. From the very beginning, Nephi says, I saw your day, uh, and he sees this, and that goes all the way through to the end where uh, where Moroni says the same thing. Uh, we've seen My father and I have seen your day, and we know you're doing. So the Book of Mormon has been curated for our day. And that's why we put a lot of emphasis on knowing the Book of Mormon, is because if we can establish a few truths in the Book of Mormon, it helps all the other scriptures become alive. And like you've mentioned before, um, Isaiah really helps you understand the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon helps you understand Isaiah and back and forth. So... That's uh, that's why we put such an emphasis on the book of Mormons, and we're excited about that. And this is Nephi setting that up. He's saying, you know, if you seek these things, you will find them by the power of the Holy Ghost.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, you, you remind me, um, we had uh, one of the comments uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, asked, it, 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 we were, it was riffing off of Mike Goodman, where Mike had talked about, you know, this quote from Joseph Smith, that a man will get nearer to God by abiding by the precepts of the Book of Mormon than by any other book. And he said, well, mm-hmm. what are precepts? And, and precepts are, and what are the precepts of the Book of Mormon, right? So uh, the precepts are their, their, their teachings or maxims, their teachings about how to live. Um, and so I think that is something that we should look for. If we want to draw nearer to God, uh, then this year is our great opportunity. Let's look through the Book of Mormon about teachings or precepts about how to live. That's when the scriptures really become real. When, right. when we find the teaching that says, oh, this is how I should live my life right now. This is what I need to do more of or less of or differently uh, that's that's where the rubber hits the road, right? That's the scriptures becoming real to us. Uh, so let's look for those precepts. Uh, that's, that's the magic, as it were, right? Right, okay. Even though it's not but, magical.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's great. And that's going to lead us into where we are today, which is Nephi 11 and 12. It's actually a little more than this. We're going to talk about, today's um, is about Nephi's vision. But Nephi's vision is really more than one vision. It's more of a compilation of visions or maybe an extrapolation of visions or expansions so it's he first of all nephi hears his father speak about his vision so it's lehi's vision first and he wants to know that what what is meant by that and so he's he is able to experience the same vision and then he also gets an either an expanded version or or, or he does more in-depth discussion of his vision and he has an interaction with a with an angel who teaches him some things about that then he also mentions john's revelation and he says that uh, that I'm going to um, to talk about John's revelation, but it's really for him to do, to tell you about it. I'm just going to tell you a few elements of it. So Nephi's vision is long, and it it's not just here in one through say 14. It also will be referred to again in 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 uh, Nephi uh, First Nephi 22. He'll talk about it again. Um, it, uh, Second Nephi, what is it? Uh, 31 thirty one and thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and then again. It, we're going to see these same things show up in um, in parts of the, the Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, 101, I think 107 also has some. So Nephi's vision is a is a very broad topic that we could go on and on about for a long time. But we're going to hit a couple of highlights here and maybe get into, like you mentioned before, some deep dives on a couple of things and draw out a couple of principles or precepts. And principles is to me is a very similar word. Principles. Yeah. Uh, we're yeah, draw a few principles. To by, right? that's
1: a precept. Yeah,
0: exactly. And we're going to try to draw those out for days. So, what can we draw from Nephi's vision that is applicable to us? And I know you're going to talk about this at, at, in another uh, an episode also. But let's briefly talk about how how Nephi refers to the condescension of God and why that's unique to Nephi's vision versus the other versions of that we've heard or other prophets speak about the you know seeing the beginning to the end that kind of thing
1: yeah wonderful let uh, that that's a great thing and this is something that's kind of unique uh, if, if we'll talk in a minute more about how many people have seen this vision but i think nephi talks about that no one else seems to talk about that if if lehi did nephi is not telling us about it right and as you said uh, I, I think that Lehi sees the same vision, maybe a couple things that are, are, are different here or there, because Nephi asks a question that Nephi doesn't, or Lehi asks a question Nephi doesn't or something, mm-hmm. but largely the same. And you get little hints and clues of it in 10, uh, where Nephi comes, he says, okay, well, that's all I'm going to talk about my dad's vision, I'll have more. He talked to us after that about this and this and this, and he gives you a quick list, and it gives you an idea, oh, he did see about the scattering gathering of Israel, and he saw other things so you get little clues that makes me think that lehi saw for the most part the same things and Mm -hmm. there's really not a pause between 10 and 11 you know we have these chapter divisions that get inserted later um but the way nephi writes it after he said the things we just read right that anyone who desires can see and if you ask you can see and we get in verse one i desired and uh verse three i desired uh right and and he pondered and so on so he sees these things but when when he asks then the we get this vision that starts, and it seems like initially it starts that he's seeing the Holy Ghost himself, um, mm-hmm. and then that he seems to disappear, and it's an angel is what it seems like. But the question that is asked of, of Nephi, um, if we were to go, I mean, he asks, "What desirest thou?" And we already know he desires to see what his father's seen. And then in verse eleven, he says, "I want to know the interpretation of what my father saw." And the angel says to look and he see, he looks and he sees Nazareth. So we've got verse uh, 13,
0: 13. Mm-hmm. He
1: sees Nazareth and he beholds this beautiful virgin. And, uh, and he's asked, what do you see? And, and he said, a, a virgin, beautiful and fair above all other virgins. Then we get to verse 16. And he said unto me, "Knowest thou the condescension of God. We don't really have anyone else talking about this in this way. Um, and, of course, uh, verse 17 is a famous verse because it's the answer that seminary teachers, students give and my students give when they don't know the answer to anything else. And it's actually a really, really powerful answer where he says, uh, I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. There, there is something powerful in that to say, OK, I don't get this. I don't know what's having, happening. I don't know exactly what it means. And it doesn't matter that much because I know God loves us. So I know it's going to work out. If Mm -hmm. you can, when you don't know or understand something, that's still a great answer. Like, I don't know why this is happening, but I know God loves me. So this is going to work for my good. Right. That's a great answer. But yeah, fortunately for us, it doesn't end there because he says, uh, right. He's asked, do you know the condescension of God? No. And then he answers him partially uh, to begin. I think he answers him fully eventually, but it's a long answer. He says, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld she was carried away in the Spirit. And after she'd been carried away in the Spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me and said, Look. Now, I'm going to argue that for the next while, every time the angel says, Look, he is telling us another element of the condescension of God. that, That look points out. Here's part of the answer to that question. What is the condescension of God? So the first time... He sees this the Mary carried away in the spirit, and then the angel says, "Look," and I looked, and I beheld the virgin again bearing a child in her arms. So I think there's a two-part condescension here. The first answer to what is the condescension of God, it is that God the Father, through miraculous means different than how it normally happens, through miraculous means, will have a child with a mortal, so that uh, that this child will come and be. Mortal and immortal in its nature, right? So there's mm-hmm. a condescension of the father in having this child that is his only begotten, physically begotten son on this earth, right? But then it's also begins the condescension of God the son, uh-huh. which is that he leaves from being Jehovah, the great, mighty, amazing Jehovah, uh, and comes down as a child in Mary's arms. And that's right. when he starts to understand um, that the, the tree, you know, the, the, in verse 22, I'll ask, you know the meaning of the tree? And he says, it's the love of God, because he sees God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's what he's seen. But now we get, again, verse 24, and after he had said these words, he said unto me, look, and I looked, and I beheld the Son of God going forth among the children of men. And and many had fallen down at his feet to worship him. So that's part of the condescension of God, the Son, or Christ. And all the rest of these are going to be about Christ's condescension. So first, he's born in this fallen world with a, a, a mortal fallen body. Uh, and second, he is going to go around among all the other mortals and and serve them. Uh, And so that we get again to verse 26, and the angel said unto me again, look and behold the condescension of God. And I looked and beheld the Redeemer of the world, whom my father uh, had spoken, uh, and he sees the prophet who will prepare the way before him. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And after that he was baptized, I beheld the heavens open and the Holy Ghost come down and the heaven uh out of heaven and abide upon him in the form of a dub so one of the forms of condescension is that he will be baptized even though he doesn't need to be baptized for remission of sins right he is baptized to show the example for us and this is where we get another interesting thing coming in that we're, we're going to see when we come back to second nephi 31 and 32 and the doctrine of christ the doctrine of christ is really based off of what nephi's learning in this vision and so uh we see it right here this idea of baptism and the holy ghost and then we'll learn that Nephi came to understand that so that he sets the example, but we don't learn that till we get to 2 Nephi 31. But the doctrine of Christ is based out of what he sees here. So one of the condescensions is baptism. We, if we go to verse 31, and he spake in me again, saying, look, and I looked and I beheld the Lamb of God again going forth among the children of men, and I beheld multitudes of people who were sick and were afflicted with all manner of diseases and devils and unclean spirits. And the angel spake and showed all these things unto me, and they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God, and the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. So we've seen already that one of the forms of condescension is that he's just among us, but another is that he's serving us. He's healing and helping. And then we get again in verse 32, Look, and I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, that he was taken by the people. Yea, the Son of the everlasting God was judged of the world, and I saw and beheld and bear record. And I and Nephi saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. That's that's the, the kind of final condescension, as it were, that Christ is uh, the very people whom he is saving and whom he is God of <laughs> will crucify him. He will suffer and he will mm-hmm. die so that we can be saved. And that's kind of the final form of that condescension. and. um that's, that's a really powerful element, I think, of understanding this vision is that in some ways, this vision is all about the condescension of God. And so we'll see as we go through other topics and elements, we're going to see those two themes coming in, the, the idea of condescension, but also we're going to see the doctrine of Christ kind of being taught and woven in through this. And then we're going to see it pop up again and again. The vision and doctrine of Christ say when, when in First Nephi 19 and 22 and and in the choices of Isaiah chapters he quotes in between there and we're just going to see it keep popping up again and again. So I want our audience to look for this these themes of the vision and how the vision teaches about the doctrine of Christ in everything between here and Second Nephi 31. And then of course we'll come back to it when we do Second Nephi 31.
0: Right, excellent. You know, and, and I've gone through in my scriptures and underlined uh, the, the word "look." It's just it's it's interesting. I I would love to have been to see this. Maybe we'll get a chance to see this vision someday, or how how these prophets have seen it. We know that Moses had a similar type of thing. We know that uh, Abraham and other these other these great prophets uh, Elijah had the prophets where they see uh, the world, the beginning to the end. So I don't know how this is conveyed to them, but it's as if this messenger here. Um, as he's, as Nephi is seeing all these things, he highlights certain parts. So he's seeing yeah. all of them, but then he goes, no, look here. And then wait, a special attention here. And so he highlights the important parts, uh, of the vision or parts that are very poignant. And he brings them out that about the condescension. So again, in verse 26, he's report, look and behold the condescension of God. Well, he's already said condescension up above. And yeah. then, but it's interesting how those little points where he look and, and the, it, you don't know of any other place in scripture where you have a guided tour like this, that at least that's recorded in this way. And it says, look and see what happens here and look. And, you know, and then um, Nephi later will say, uh, you know, and, and thus we see and he'll sum up some of these things. But um, anyway, that's just really interesting. And I've gone through in my scriptures and put down, you know, underline the word, look to, to highlight those parts. What if they were important to Nephi, what's important for us to look for? And you do, you see those parts that, you know, how yeah, I was born, I went among the among went among the children of men, how he was judged, you know, anyway, those are so Nephi sees all that that's going to happen and what what the Lord has done. That's the central mission. Again, it's the central part of the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. And Nephi is starting off the beginning of it, saying, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to do this this great and miraculous thing, this great and marvelous work for us. And it's and it's the beginning of the Mormon, and you'll see it all the way through.
1: yeah, yeah, amen to that.
0: Well, Nephi's vision continues again in in uh, in chapter twelve. And oh, first of all, we we hear about Lehi's dream and about the the waters and so forth and uh, and about the tree. So Nephi starts off asking about Lehi's vision and maybe he said more about that, but we talk about the tree, but then he gets this, extra expanded version from this angel or or the spirit of the Lord that says, look, and he sees the whole plan of salvation laid out, you know, in terms of Jesus Christ being born. And then in verse 12, uh, excuse me, in chapter 12, um, he gets back to, uh, back to the tree and about seeing it. And is there any, what what highlights you want to get to this in, in this carry that you want to point out?
1: Well, maybe Maybe we could do it this way, um, if it's all right. I I like what you're talking about, like that Lehi has seen this vision and Nephi has seen this vision. And we've already talked about, we know John sees a vision that is pretty much the same vision. Um, I I mean, probably less of the Nephite interpretation and more of other elements of it. Um, Ezekiel's vision is very similar to John's. Daniel's vision seems to be very similar to Ezekiel's and John's, and thus to Nephi's and Lehi's. Um, there are all sorts of people who have seen this vision, but they'll each give it their own special emphasis according to what's going on for them. Uh, so, for example, chapter twelve in many ways is Nephi, the the Nephi Nephi scene, what happens with his descendants and Laman and Lemuel's descendants, and how that is a uh, in on the not global scale but a semi global scale uh, uh almost a hemispheric scale or something but anyway <laughs> right. um uh the notion of some people going to the tree and some not right some right. holding to the rod and some not uh being acted out among nations right, uh, right. and and so it's it's like a fulfillment of this vision with nations, but of course that happens with people. So I, I'd say chapter 12 in many ways is that. But to me, if it's all right, I think one of the interesting things would be to kind of compare, we, we just finished the book of Revelation. Uh, and I don't know if you remember the episode where we introduced it and it was uh, Andrew Skinner. And he said, mm-hmm. okay, these are the same visions. Nephi kind of focused on the, the first coming and, and John on the second coming. And I think there is something to that, but they both focus on some battles. Um, and uh, I've talked about this in a number of places. In fact, you can find a, a lecture I've done on this on that um, Enlightened Edge EDU website that I've started. Um, but I, I think it might be worth focusing on the way Nephi frames this battle. So John's going to talk about Armageddon, right? Uh, and... Uh, these these huge battles between these forces. And it, it seems like it might be a literal battle with John. I don't know if it's literal or not, but he kind of paints it that way. Nephi really doesn't, but but John paints it as if it's a literal battle and maybe it is. Uh, but in the end, I don't know how to prepare for an Armageddon that's like that, right? That's uh, huge armies coming and clashing with each other. I'm going to let generals and heads of state prepare for that. Uh, I mean, maybe you and I prepare by, uh, having our food storage and whatever, because we've seen, uh, even in recent times, that uh, wars can disrupt oh, yeah. the ability of gas, natural gas and oil and all sorts of other things. So we want to be pandemics that
0: in, in, interrupt yeah. the whole supply chain. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. yeah let me ask you.
0: Guy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's right. Uh, before we get to that, let me ask you a question. Give me just a, if I was to ask you for a breakdown, we hear this word Armageddon thrown around, and it's become kind of um uh, sort of just a, a symbol word that we but yeah. break down real quick for the audience what, in in thirty seconds or so, can you give me an uh, an explanation of what Armageddon is?
1: Well, again, I don't know if it's a literal battle or not, but it's painted like so it's just like when we did uh, the fall or anything like this. I would say, let's not let's treat it as if it's literal, knowing that the focus isn't literal. it's on the symbolic. So. Mm-hmm. We want to learn from the symbols, and we learn the symbols best if we focus on the literal. So if there is a literal, then it's a huge battle that's fought in uh, seemingly in the Jezreel Valley by Mount Megiddo or Har Megiddo, which in, right. in, uh, you know, in Greek, there aren't Hs, and they put case endings on. So Har Megiddo becomes Ar Megiddon or Armageddon. It seems like it's this huge battle, all right? Um, where literally, if it is literal, then there are these big forces that come. And this is uh, Gog and Magog seems to be the same thing in, in uh, the way Ezekiel sees the vision, where you've got these forces that come and all sorts of death. And, you know, they're carrying birds that are eating the dead things and all this kind of thing, uh, just huge destruction. But it seems to me that Nephi, he doesn't talk about it as a literal battle. He talks about it as a spiritual battle. And whether it's literal or not, what I'm sure is that it is spiritual. There's no doubt it's spiritual and that we should learn from the symbolism. If it is literal, fine. Let's learn from the symbolism and apply it to a spiritual battle. And that will be Nephi's focus. Um, So that, and we can see it even right here at the end of chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, uh, right after the part I read. So verse 33, where it said, I saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. Let's go to verse 34. And after he was slain, I saw the multitudes of the earth, that they were gathered together to fight against the apostles of the Lamb. Right. That this is where you have the spiritual battle fight Mm -hmm. beginning, and and there are physical elements of that, like uh, the apostles are killed. That's pretty literal and physical, right? But but Mm -hmm. primarily, this is a spiritual battle, right? And then we get into verse uh, thirty-five, and the uh, no, uh, yeah. At the end of verse 35 – no, sorry. Oh Yeah, verse 34 is where it said they were gathered to fight against the apostles of the Lamb. 35, and the multitude of the earth was gathered together, and I beheld they were in a large and spacious building. So that's where we get this symbol. And and that symbol exists in uh, John's version as well. he caught it the whore and all sorts of things. Right. But, um, large and spacious building, like unto the building which my father saw, and the angel of the Lord said to me, uh, spake unto me again, saying – Behold the world and the wisdom thereof. So that's what the building is. It's the world's wisdom as opposed to God's wisdom. Then listen to this. This is so interesting. Yea, behold. Who is it that you expect us? We know someone. It's. I, I'll just tell you in case you're not reading. I want you to read, but right now don't read. Although we usually want you to just get right <laughs> in and read, but don't read this. I'm just going to tell you that he's going to talk about who gathers together to fight against the 12 apostles of the lamb. And you're going to expect it's going to be the world, right? Cause he's just been talking about the world, but look, he says, I'll read again, behold the world and the wisdom thereof. Yea, Behold. So he's actually telling us, this is one of the ways that happens, but he says, behold, the house of Israel hath gathered together to fight against the 12 apostles of the lamb. All right. So you can start reading again, not if you're driving, but anyway, <laughs> um, but, uh, That's so interesting. It's the house of Israel that is fighting against the apostles. Now, in some ways that happens immediately. If we're going to look at this historically, you you remember that, like, as we read the book of Acts, that it's the Jews that are constantly fighting against uh, the apostles, right? Uh, And and so on. And you even get uh, in the book of Revelation when he's Uh, you you get uh, John talking about the synagogue, comparing the Jews to the synagogue of Satan and so on, right? So there are Israelites that will fight against the apostles of the lamb. That's part of the, and while they're in the scattering phase, then we get to the gathering phase where there are Israelites that are uh, the ones that are the covenant people that are being helped and are doing the good. But at some point it's it's Israel against Israel, right? Um, But in any case, uh, verse 36, and it came to pass that I saw and bear record that the great and spacious building was the pride of the world and it fell. So this takes forever to get to that in the book of Revelation. Nephi just gives it to us so quickly, but then we're going to come back and see. He's, he, he, he's going to tell us some of the things that happened before it falls. So he's just given us the end of the story right at the beginning. Um, it fell and the fall thereof was exceedingly great. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me again, saying, Thus saith or thus shall be the destruction of all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people that shall fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Again, that sounds so much like the book of Revelation. You've got all the kingdoms and the beast and the dragon and all these things. They're all gathered and they're going to fight. And then Christ comes and it's over. They all fall. They're done. They're gone. Right? Um, right. And and th- this is the same kind of a thing. So if we're going to think of this in terms of, uh, of a spiritual battle, let's let's remember that we know how this ends. So even though we know how it ends, then in chapter 12, he gets into, well, here's stuff that happens before the ending, and he talks about the, the Nephites. Um, we've got some interesting things where the verse 9 of chapter 12, remember the 12 apostles of the Lamb, they are they who shall judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And let's remember my emphasis, I keep coming back, judge means uh, leading, taking care of, making things right. So it's not they're going to sit there and say, oh, you were naughty. You were naughty. You're on the naughty list. You're on the nice list. They are the leaders who will make things right. And sometimes that is dispensing punishment. Uh, but that punishment should be aimed at helping people come back. That's how God does it. Right. Um, but it's it's leading to try and make things the way they should be. And then we have 12 ministers of Nephi's seed who will uh, judge Nephi's seed underneath the other apostles and, and so on. So we've got this, this notion that we're going to have leaders that are going to try and make things the way they're supposed to be. And that's what the battle is all about is, is eventually getting things to be the way they should be. Um, and we have language like verse 17, the myths of darkness or the temptations of the devil and uh, the blindeth eyes. So I want you to stop and think this is part of the battle. If you're in a spiritual battle right now, and you are, all of us are, Mm-hmm. We are in this spiritual battle. We are in spiritual arm again. I have no doubt of that. This is when, I mean, there's been a spiritual battle since before the world was created, and it's always been going on, but we're getting to the the peak fervor of this battle, right? Uh, yeah. The days are hastening. And so this is what is going on in the battle. There are myths of darkness that are the temptations of the devil. I, you know, I'm recently been reading a little bit about uh, World War II and some of the battles in there, and sometimes those battles were – the wrong things happened because there were fog, and the uh, planes couldn't see who were bombing. The wrong guys got bombed. Uh, right, right. Friendly fire happened. They,
0: they called it the fog of war, yeah.
1: That's exactly right, yeah, and, and friendly fire happened because of that, and, and people were killed by their friends because of those myths. That's what this is talking about. There are things that are confusing members of the church that that uh, are making it so they don't see things correctly now who is it that can lead us through that well it's the holy ghost and prophets right right um, that's right but when we're not listening to the prophets then we are going to end up being the people who inflict friendly fire and hurt other members of the house of Israel. yeah
0: our own people yeah
1: and this can tell us exactly what they do the mists of darkness are the temptations of the devil which blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men and leadeth them away into broad roads that they perish and are lost. That's what's happening if we are not listening to the prophet. If we are not following the promptings that come to us as we read the scriptures and listen to the prophets, then we're going to be led away in perish in a loss. And the large and spacious building, which thy father saw, is vain imaginations and the pride of the children of men. So, if you are hearing things from people outside of the church that are saying this is how it should be this is the way you should think this is what you should do and it conflicts with what prophets are telling us from god then you can be sure what you are hearing are vain imaginations and the pride of the children of men that is the anything that is you're hearing that makes you think like oh i'm not sure if what i heard in church or what i heard from these prophets is correct I'm telling you with a hundred percent surety, that is the vain imagination of the pride of the children of men. It's good ideas being mingled with scripture just to fool you so that, that it forms mists of darkness. That's the battle we're in.
0: Yeah. If there's any two things that, that are, well, they're all applicable obviously, but if there's two things that I can see realistically in my mind out of this vision, it, the, the mists of darkness that you're talking about so that, that you know, people are blinded and they, they they can't see clearly and the jeering crowds or the masses that are yes. in this building. If you can't see that in a literal way right now, I, I don't know if you'll ever see it. It's, it's so, it's so much like that right now to see yeah. how um, for all the great things that the internet can do. Also the internet and, and, and the spotlights of the, of the media cameras and everything can just absolutely um, spotlight these jeering masses that can that yes. can try to intimidate you and and confuse things. I mean, just I, I don't like to get into it, this this podcast is not about the the political side of things. I, I have other things that I can talk about other podcasts that I'll talk about political things. That's not the focus. This is the focus of scriptures, but if we delve in just for a minute, if we can see the misinformation, the disinformation they're talking about all the time that is out there in the media where, you can't even say things that you know are true. They're obviously true. They're, they're, they're yeah. verifiably true. And you can't say them because if you're afraid of someone that, the cancel cancel you or, or point you out on this, or, you know, dox you for the, just all these kind of things. If you can't see the great and spacious building right in your face right now, you ain't looking, man, because it's, yeah. it's right there. It's right there looking at us. And then the, the exactly what you're saying, this, this mist that, that, that blinds us. And Lehi is not, when he first there, he's not immune to the mist. He has to find his way through the mist.
1: Yeah. And if, you don't, if you, through, you don't have the, the rod, you can't well, exactly get right. through the mist. And that's as soon as I say that, that makes me, it sounds to me like President Nelson saying, if you aren't having regular revelation from the Holy Ghost, you won't survive spiritually in the last days. That's saying the exact same thing,
0: right? Right. So, and exactly. And what leads them through, even when they can't see, when they can't see through the mist, they follow the rod. That's yeah. what they hold that rod. So stick to the scriptures and the things that we know and hold to that rod so that you're not drifted off. Otherwise, like I said, Lehi, he's a prophet. You think he would be able to, uh, to guide himself, but that's not what happens. He has to hold to the rod as does everybody else. They hold to the rod and that's how they see through. And good. Yeah, so that's it, just pay attention to those things. That's how people make it through.
1: Yep, and I'm going to give a spoiler alert here for when we get to 2 <laughs> Nephi 31 and, and 32, um, because we know that the ro- the iron rod is the word of God. You could even sing a song about that, but you don't want me to sing it because that would be painful. But anyway, um, the iron rod is the word of God, and and when we hear word of God, we always think scriptures. I'm going to argue when we look carefully at 2 Nephi 31 and especially 32 that that's a limited view of it that what nephi is really teaching us is that the the word of god is whatever the holy ghost teaches us when we hear prophets ancient or modern so when we read the scriptures when we read the modern modern teachings or listen to modern teachings modern prophets it's what the spirit teaches us during that time so it's that revelation it's the holy ghost that that's this theme that we've been talking about you have to ask and then get the holy ghost and follow it um and that's what will get you through? Again, that's the same thing President Nelson recently said. And so, you are dead if you are not getting revelation that comes from listening to to prophets, ancient and modern, and supports what prophets, ancient and modern, are having. You're in in big trouble, right? And you and if I said what you get again, this phrase, the vain imaginations. Let's remember the word vain. I'm, i we don't have the Hebrew text of the Book of Mormon, but. Nephi is speaking Hebrew. I, I, I'm confident I know what words Nephi is using in this case. And the word vain means empty.
0: Right. It doesn't affect
1: anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 also um, uh, so temporal. Right. Like like temporary. I mean, just fleeting. Uh That's what the imaginations of the world are, where the, the whatever wisdom you are hearing right now, that is telling you. Uh, that this or that you, is wrong, so, you know, some of the things you were referring to or whatever else, it's fleeting. It'll be a different flavor. At five years from now, anyone who is still saying that same thing will be the ones who are being canceled and it'll be a different thing that is the flavor of the world for the day, right? They're all empty, useless, fleeting. They don't hold anything. And it reminds me of President Nelson when he says the, the world teaches you that that what will bring you peace and, and uh, happiness is... Um possessions, power, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh, yeah, but they it. cannot they are not capable. That's the definition of vanity the yes. The things that are making you doubt the prophets right now, I am promising you they will not last, they will not bring you peace or happiness, and they won't last. It's nothing, so it's a mist, so hold on to the teachings of the prophets and what the spirit tells you to do as you listen to the prophets, very good
0: well. That's what I think that that I take away. Well, there's just so many more things. I can't just sum it up all in that one thing, but there's so many things I take away from Nephi's vision and that tree of life. So it's Lehi has the vision, the tree of life, but the explanation that comes from there is so much is so interesting to me. And I I just love how Nephi um, gives us that guided. Well, and of course the spirit of the angel that gives them the guided tour through there. And let me read something here from, this is April, 2020 from president Nelson the talk is called hear him yeah and he says about nephi's vision he said we live in a day that our forefathers have awaited with ancient with anxious expectation we have front row seats to witness live witness live what the prophet nephi saw only in vision that the quote power of the lamb of god unquote would cease would descend sorry would descend quote upon the covenant people of the lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth and they were armed with righteousness and the power of God in great glory, unquote. And then he says, well, this is all in his quote, but he says, you, my brothers and sisters, are among those men, women, and children whom Nephi saw. Think of that. So, yeah, we're going to
1: come to that verse in a minute, but sorry, keep going.
0: No, that's, that's great. I'm just, this is why this is, when we talk about the scriptures are real. We absolutely need to understand that President Nelson is telling us that this is what Nephi saw. The people that are here now are the people that Nephi saw, and is talking about this. So, what I said at the beginning of this, the reason why we think the Book of Mormon is so powerful is because this isn't just written to you know the people of you know Nineveh or the people of here or the people of there. In the this is written for your day, right now, yes. this people, this time, and he says. You are the men and women uh, and children who Nephi saw. Think of that. So when you think of this, of course, it applies to all ages, but especially right now, if you can't see this, read it again, read the read Nephi's vision again and understand that this is written for you and think how you can put yourself in this position. Where are you? Are you holding on the rod? Are you teetering on the edge? Are you lost before you found the iron rod? Are you Are you listening to the people in the building? Make that applicable to you. Where are you in your life? And then pray to get to the rod. <laughs> That's what yeah. I say. It,
1: it kind of reminds me, uh, Lamar, of uh, a, a phrase you and I kind of accidentally stumbled upon about two years ago right now, mm-hmm. um, which is this idea that you need to commune to uh, to commute. Right. Uh, And the idea is if on our commute to God, to being returning to be with God again, if we don't have communion with God, if we don't get information from him, we're in trouble. Well, the commute is trying to get to the tree and the communing is the the revelation that's coming to you as you hold to the rod. Right. Right. And and interestingly, um, Nephi, so uh, as we said, he kind of showed us the end right at the beginning, but then he's going to get into it a little bit. So let's Mm -hmm. look at some of this battle language, I think uh that he gives us where he gives us some details that are similar to what john's giving us but a little bit different that are really helpful all right so let's go we're now in in first nephi 13 and let's go to verse 5 and the angel said unto me behold the formation of a church which is most abominable above all other churches which slayeth the saints of god all right we're going to finish that in a minute but let's talk about this for a second at times we've had people who've tried to say that's the catholic church or that's this church or that church I really do not think, and I'd refer you to some uh, articles that were published in what we back then called the Ensign by mm-hmm. Stephen Robinson. Uh, that's S-T-P-H-E-N Robinson, uh, where he goes through this and he shows it's not th- that a specific church; it's it's groups. I would argue that the church is anyone who is fighting against God. And my guess is that there are members of our church who are really part of this great and abominable church, and there are members of other churches who are part of the church of the Lamb of God. It, right. It's really whether you're, you're holding to the rod or whether you're in the great and spacious building is really what it is. But, but listen, and this will go so much along with what we were just talking about. So again, we're in First Nephi thirteen five. Behold the formation of a great church, which is most abominable above all other churches, which slayeth the saints of God, yea, and tortureth them, and bindeth them down, and yoketh them with a yoke of iron, and bringeth them down into captivity. Now, in some ways, that's absolutely true, and 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 in some ways, he's historically describing what happens um, soon after he sets up a church with Peter and and James and John and everybody, right? And undoubtedly, people literally were physically tortured and and bound mm-hmm. down and, mm-hmm. and and brought into captivity. But he's also still describing our day. So again, if you are fooled by the world. If you're if you are fooled by the people in that great and spacious building who are mocking you the way you said or by the mists of darkness, what happens is you're tortured and you're bound down and you're yoked. Right. And you're in captivity. And and in a way, spiritually, you are slain so that just like President Nelson talked about in that talk, you're not going to find peace and happiness. That's the torture. You work so hard to find peace and happiness and rest and contentment. And instead, what you get is insatiability. The things of the world cannot be satisfied; they cannot be satiated. All those things—power, popularity, possessions, pleasures of the flesh—they cannot be satisfied. You will never be happy. Instead, you will feel tortured, bound down, and yoked. So again, if you are feeling yourself disagreeing with the prophets and being persuaded by the ideas you're hearing of the world, you're 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 being tortured. Yeah. You're going to yeah. be bound down. That's where the battle is, and that's how you're going to lose. Right. So we know that the the God is going to win, and those who keep their covenants will win. The question is, what about you? You, Lamar, me, Kerry, you, Henry in Seattle, or wherever, right? <laughs> right. Uh, whoever you are listening, the question is, what about you? Are you going to win or lose this battle? Are you going to be slain spiritually or or not, right? So let's let's go, jump down a little bit, and we'll see some of the specific ways this happened. And, and, and we're going to talk about covenants, because I can't not talk about covenants, right? So right. It's, oh, it's, yeah. So. Verse 23. He's talking about the Bible, like in verse 21. thou the meaning of the book, the, the book that's coming from the Jews. Verse 23, and he said, Behold, it proceedeth out of the mouth of a Jew. And I, Nephi, beheld it. And he said unto me, The book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews. Now listen, which contains the covenants of the Lord. That's the first thing he said. The primary thing when when this angel is explaining to John what is in that record, to him, the most important thing, the primary thing, the thing you have to say first is it contains the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. And it also containeth many of the prophecies of the holy prophets. So that's also important, but it's secondary, right? Mm-hmm. They're good. I'm not saying I, I love the prophets. I thank the Lord literally every single day. I thank the Lord for all those prophets who have taught us and that we have their records. But the the covenants are first, and then the, the prophecies, um, uh, and he says, it's like under the engravings which are on the plates of brass, save there are not so many. Nevertheless, they contain the covenants of the Lord, which He hath made unto the house of Israel. Wherefore they are of great worth unto the Gentiles. These covenants are so important, they're important for Israel and the Gentiles. And then he tells us when it proceeds forth out of the mouth of the Jew, there's the fullness of the gospel in it, and the 12 apostles bearing record according to that which is in the Lamb and comes forth in purity, and it goes forth by the hand of the 12. But so, verse 26, and they see after they go forth by the hand of the 12 apostles of the Lamb from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious. And also, many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. Right. So this is what part of uh, what Stephen Robinson will use to argue that um, this isn't the Catholic Church because this kind of stuff is happening before the Catholic Church is even formed, before such an entity exists. Right. 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 There are people who are taken away, but know what they've taken away: parts which are plain and precious, and the covenants. So elements of the covenant are gone, and. Plain and precious things are gone. I don't know what all that refers to. There's one I'm fairly confident because if I compare the covenant the way it's revealed in restoration scripture and the way it's revealed, say, in the Old Testament, uh, it's fairly similar. the The big difference is the the obligation to share the covenant. That's not in the Old Testament, right? You see hints of the fact that it was a little hint here, a little hint here there, but it's really clear in the Book of Abraham um, when it has a parallel. A version in the book of Abraham, is really clear. You've got to share the covenant. You've got to share the gospel and, and the ordinances that, that do that and so on. All right. In any case, so parts of the covenant are taken away and plenty of precious things. Verse 27, and all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord. So this is their tactic. It's the misinformation tactic. It's the feint, as it were in battle, right? We're going to make you think we're attacking here, but we're really attacking here. We'll get, we'll get you confused and so on. And that's exactly right. It says that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore thou seest after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken from the book. And I would argue that when it starts to talk about plain and precious things, that's the way of talking about both truths and covenants, which is a truth. But anyway, mm-hmm. teachings of prophets and covenants combined as precious things being taken away. And from then on, it's going to keep talking about plain and precious things being gone. Um, and I think it's referring to both covenants and uh, other teachings. So I want to move on to a, another part of this battle, but did you have anything you wanted to kind of... Uh, no. I'm going to it. jump to verse 37, but... No, no, go go ahead. That's I think you're on the right track. Okay. So this is where he's... Right, we're going to jump to... I mean, this is all about that battle, but we're going to jump to the part that we need to play. Okay. So verse 37. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, meaning in the last day, in our mm-hmm. day. Our so day. if we want to be on the right side of this battle... We need to be seeking to bring forth Zion, and, and Nephi's going to make it plain in lots of places. That means forget about yourself and just try to establish Zion. If you're doing it for your own good, your own cause to build yourself up, that's a problem. Establish, do this so that you can establish Zion and, and God's kingdom, all right? So they who seek to bring forth Zion at that day, for they shall have, what? The gift and power of the Holy Ghost. That's what we need again, Right? And look how this, and you can tell this is exactly what Nephi is going to talk about when he does the doctrine of Christ. They shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure to the end, this is why he's going to have that endure to the end language in uh, the doctrine of Christ, because he's learning the doctrine of Christ in this vision. So if they endure to the end, how do you endure to the end? By having the gift and power of the Holy Ghost. So we'll come back to that when we do 2 Nephi 31 and 32. They shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. That's what we're talking about. If we're going to talk about battles, we want to be saved. We've got to be lifted up and so on. Right. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to seek to bring forth Zion, not the causes of the world, the things that the world is encouraging us to do. who would not be blinded by the world, seek to bring forth Zion by doing what the Holy ghost teaches you as you read the scriptures. And as you listen to modern right. prophets, which we keep saying, right? Well, let's jump forward to chapter 14. Um, Verse 1, he's going to talk about how if the Gentiles will hearken unto the Lamb, then their uh, stumbling blocks are taken away. Basically, they can be part of the the covenant people. Uh, One of the key things Nephi learns in this vision that we'll end up seeing a number of times in First and Second Nephi is that that a key element of the covenant for Nephi is you have to accept Christ. That's another thing that's in the covenant that's not apparent in the Old Testament. If you don't accept Christ you're you're not really part of the covenant now it makes sense if you know that jehovah and christ are the same person because in the old testament you have to accept jehovah if you're going to be right uh, right. part of the covenant right anyway verse two if they harden not their hearts against the lamb of god they shall be numbered among the seed of thy father so gentiles can be lehites basically Mm -hmm. and they shall be numbered among the house of israel and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever and they shall be no more brought down into captivity And the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. So this is how we win the battle, right, is is to accept Christ. And that great pit which hath been digged for them by that great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it under their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting into that hell, which hath no end. Now this is language. Nephi is going to pick up on this. And the first Isaiah chapters he's going to quote are going to have language that is similar to this. Mormon's going to pick up on it so that when he's even describing the battles with Captain Moroni, he's going to use this language. Well, they they had these pits and they filled it up with their own bodies and so on. He's They keep drawing on this language, the idea that if you're following the world, you end up falling prey to your own bad things, Right. And and you're you're the pit, uh, and you fill the pit. Um, Now let's let's keep uh, moving. Verse five, and it shall come to pass the angel, and it came to pass that the angel spake unto me, saying, Thou hast beheld that if the Gentiles repent, it shall be well with them, and thou also knowest concerning the covenants of the Lord under the house of Israel, and thou hast also heard that those uh, that whoso repenteth not must perish. So we've we've got those things established um verse seven for the time cometh saith the lamb of god that i will work a great and a marvelous work among the children of men and and we know that at least a major part of the fulfillment of that is the coming forth of the book of mormon and the opportunity to become part of the covenant by Mm -hmm. baptism or not a work which shall be everlasting either on the one hand or the other either to the convincing of them unto the um sorry i lost my place unto peace and life eternal or under the deliverance of them under the hardness of their hearts. so this is nephi's theme again The spirit's going to bear witness to you. Are you going to ask and follow the spirit or not ask uh, and not follow the spirit or even ask, but then not follow the spirit? Those are your two choices. Same choices we see Laman and Lemuel and Nephi and Sam have and so on and so on, right? Mm -hmm. That's where the battle's fought. Verse 8, and it came to pass that when the angel had spoken these words, he said unto me, Rememberest thou the covenants of the Father unto the house of Israel? Nephi says, yeah, I remember that. I I, I never forget that. Anyway, 9, and it came to pass that he said unto me, look. And behold, that great and abominable church, which is the mother of abominations, whose founder is the devil. And he said unto me, behold, there are saved two churches only. That's that part that we've talked about before, uh, where you've got the church of the Lamb and the church of the devil. I want to jump down to verse 12. And it came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God. And this is where we're going to get this language that you were quoting President Nelson quoting. Mm -hmm. I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and its numbers were few because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon many waters. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the lamb uh, who were the saints of God were also upon all the face of the earth and their dominions upon the face of the earth were small because of the wickedness of the great whore whom I saw. And this is language that's so similar to John, but but Nephi right. is describing it purely spiritually. And it came to pass that I beheld the great mother of abominations did to gather together, multitudes upon the face of all the earth, among all the nations of the Gentiles to fight against the Lamb of God. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God that had descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord. So that's us who were scattered upon all the face of the earth and they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. And it, uh, and it came to pass that I beheld that the wrath of God was poured out upon the great and abominable church insomuch that there were wars and rumors and wars among all nations and kindreds and so on. But in the end, we know that the saints win because they are part of the Lamb of God and they are armed with the power of God in great glory. That's the choice that that we have, right? And so maybe I can't tie this together in this idea of, of battles. And, and you can get a more detailed version of this in that that lecture I do on, on the great battles of the last days. It's on my uh, uh, Enlightened uh, Edge EDU site. But uh, one of the things I argue there is that if we're gonna understand this, I mean, this is Nephi talking about spiritual armageddon and as we said john is talking about maybe literal but certainly spiritual armageddon but what he uses is har megiddo or the city of megiddo as the mm-hmm. focal point of that and the key to megiddo the reason it's such an important city where so many battles have been fought and so on is because it controls the uh, a key part of the trade routes or the military routes between three continents and it seems to me that a lesson we need to learn from that is we better control our spiritual trade routes. So what we need to do is let in the Holy Ghost, let in the word of God uh-huh. and shut the gate and keep out the mists of darkness or the, the ideas of the world. If we are letting the ideas of the world in, oh man, we're in trouble. It, because what happens is if we let them in, then there's no room for the Holy Ghost. Remember when President Nelson said, make more time for Christ. Well, part of making more time for Christ is you have to have less time for other things, right? We only have 24 hours in a day, so that's how it works. Um, So uh, we have to control those spiritual trade routes. What are you going to let in your home? What are you going to let in your brain? I heard uh, uh, in our state conference uh, about eight months ago – the wife of uh, elder huntsman was so sister huntsman was speaking i wish i could remember her first name but i don't but she was talking about something she heard while she was listening to a podcast with her earbuds so this is in a way i hope self-promotion i hope we're the good guys in this but anyway she said you know i'm very careful about what i uh, what i let into my brain or what i give access to my earbuds mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm only trying yeah. to listen to positive good things now That's controlling your spiritual trade routes. Do less of listening to the junky garbage, whatever that stirs you up, makes you mad of stupid things that have just bring you down or bring negative things or have, you know, sexual innuendo or violence or whatever, you know, you know, the stuff have less of that stuff. And more and more and more, giving access to your brain uh, more and more and more of the spiritual things that invite the Spirit so that the Holy Ghost can guide you, that's how you win your personal spiritual Armageddon is by controlling your spiritual trade routes, keeping out the bad, and bringing in the Holy Ghost in a flood of light, just flooding yourself, your life, your mind, your soul, your brain, everything. With the Holy Ghost, and I hope that our podcast can be a small part of that. But I hope the scriptures sure. and all sorts of other things, that the teachings of prophets that invite the Holy Ghost, should be the primary thing.
0: I totally agree, and you you summed it up so well there. I, I think maybe let's just leave it there. Uh, we're at the end of Nephi's vision, and um, and I think that that's a great way to to sum that all up is to make less time for the world, the worldly things, the fog that gets in your way and make more time for that. And it starts by reading the scriptures. Just get in there and read this. And, and when you go through, hopefully our podcast, you say it all the time, and I, I want to echo that, we're not a replacement for reading the scriptures. We're, no. Hopefully we're, we just are, are something that gets you excited about reading it or makes you look at it in a different way. And even as I'm looking at it now, I, I read this before we were going to do this podcast. I've read it many, many times before. But as you're doing it again, I'm like, oh, man, that's such a good way. I, I like the way you phrases this. So I hope that we're a kickoff for that. That helps you get back in there. Read Nephi, First Nephi, uh, eleven through fourteen. Get into the vision and apply it to yourself. How can I do that? What can I spend more time doing that gives less time for the enemy to to invade my borders or to to cloud my vision with these with these things? And again, that uh, that talk I spoke about with uh, President Nelson. That's yeah. hear him from the April twenty twenty. Yeah, it's called Hear Him from April twenty twenty uh, General Conference. So go look up that again. He talks about yes. that. And he talks about the same, the same war, that you're the same battle you're talking about. I just read one little section from it, but he talks about the same battle. So go read that and read other things that President Nelson has said about, about the book more and about this thing that's happening now. There's a, a guy that um, his name is Ricky Jarvis, and he did a really good thing on his podcast, Light and Truth. He went through um, Nephi's vision. part, Fantastic breakdown. He mentions President Nelson's talk in there as well. Really great stuff. And spend more time researching those things, and just lock out the world, and let's let's uh, let's do that. So you mentioned two things. There's an Armageddon that's going to happen that most of the Christian world understands as a, as a world war, or a, a global conflict. There's that, but there's also yeah, the Armageddon maybe, that I
1: don't even know if that's yeah, literal or not.
0: It, yeah. it could be literal. It could be done in parts or whatever. That's a that's one thing that we understand. But the spiritual Armageddon that you're talking about is the battle within ourselves all the time, and as we'll see later on in the Book of Mormon, if you can win that win that battle, or at least invite Christ in, or you know hold on the iron rod, you can keep out the other stuff. Even if we stumble and trip here and there, we still can hold on to that rod and get to the tree if we're being diligent about that. So, well, Kerry, look, we're Amen. out of time, but it's been great being with you, and I, I hope that our audience has gained something out of this. Feel free to comment uh, down below um, and ask questions if you need to, or, or you'd like to ask a question, or at a, at a positive comment. That'd be nice and helpful. Give us a, a good rating so that we can help share this with other people. And, uh, we hope that you are enjoying your, your trip to the Bookworm and as
1: we are this year,
0: and we'll look forward to seeing you again on the scriptures are real.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe, oh, yeah. sorry, I, I just no, want no, to encourage ahead. everyone for next week. Uh, we're going to have Andrew Skinner. Oh, yes. We're going to have, uh, Natalie Hunsaker, um, and we may uh, be able to have Ken Brown on, I'm still working that out. Um, but I think we've got a great lineup for next week as well. So, uh, all sorts of great stuff to look forward to and do.
0: Yeah. We got a lot of things and I like what you're doing with uh, some of the other, uh, the other contributors and podcasters. Uh, I'm excited to see what else uh, comes about. So, all right, Kerry, we'll see you next time.
1: Thank you. All right, Bye-bye.